Joining me today is the libertarian candidate for governor from the great state of New York, Larry Sharp. Welcome to the Rubin Report. Thanks for having me. Libertarian New York. Yes. Are you okay, sir? The issue to remember here is Cato actually rated us 50th when it came to freedom. We beat California. See, we got you. We're bombing. <laughs> yeah, you, yes. came, you came here to California to correct. see me. Yes, because we're better than you when it comes to tyranny. We got you down. We got you. You can't beat us. So, yes, this is a critical piece. I'm glad I'm doing this. It's the right answer because imagine this. If I make any impact in New York, what does that say for the country? It shows that the impact of this race is so important that if I can make anything happen in New York State, it will affect the rest of the nation overnight. I want you to imagine for a second. In my race, I just get 10%. That will change how people think in New York through, throughout the entire state. It'll force Republicans that actually have to be Republicans, Democrats to be Democrats, because now the Libertarian Party will have an actual voice. So now when I go to Republicans and I say, you're supposed to be about small government, someone will listen. When I go to Democrats and say, you're supposed to be about civil liberties, someone will listen. It will force them to be better. But I'm gonna go one step further. What if I actually beat the Republican in New York State? That's magical. I beat the Republican. New York State politics works where the first two, two parties actually run everything. Mm -hmm. So Republicans would officially be knocked out. So of course they'd rewrite the rules overnight. Of course they would, right? They'd rewrite the rules. Of course they would. I know that. Are you implying that New York State has a corrupt assembly? No, and... come on. Come on. Right, we have the most corrupt far. assembly. Yeah. Let's be clear on that. Not a corrupt assembly. You're insulting me now. The most corrupt. Yeah. So, no, my point being, it would then allow for third parties to really exist in New York State, and that, again, would cross the nation. But imagine if I actually won. If I actually win, I turn New York State gold. That would change the entire nation overnight. Overnight, all the liberty-leaning Republicans, Democrats, would come out of the woodwork and be like, we always love Larry Sharp, and they would all <laughs> jump on board, and, and the Libertarian Party would become huge overnight. This race has the most impact because it's New York. Okay, so you are acknowledging this is an uphill battle. It's coming by New York. Yes, and I gotta tell you, if it was six months ago, I knew I could make impact. That 10% I knew I could get. I knew that six months ago. What, what does a Libertarian usually get in a gubernatorial race? 1% maybe, yeah. I mean, that's a lot. We rarely break 50,000 votes. Yeah. In fact, I don't think we've ever broken 50,000 votes. What do you now, make of that before we go specifically to your sure. candidacy? Because one of my issues with the libertarians is it's like, as a party, there's such disorganization. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I want to talk a little bit about, about Gary Johnson because I sure. know you, you worked for him and we're almost his VP choice Absolutely. a couple I'm years a big back. Fan. People try to beat him um, up, but I'm a big fan. And we can get into yep. to some of that stuff. And I've had him on the show and I think he's a good person. I think he was just a, a flawed candidate. But just that the party itself, mm -hmm seems to be extremely disorganized. And you know, when they have these conventions and it's like naked people and you all this- You had to bring up the naked guy. There's Come always on, the let, naked let guy. And, but that- Have that, you met naked guy? I'm sure he's a great he guy. He is a great guy. He's a yeah. nice guy. He's it, fine, whatever. It's fine. <laughs> but that, that as a party, there's been a lot of disorganization here. And I guess that when you're making things about the individual, it's hard to get people to come together it on is. the collective. But what, what can you do? What, do you think that's a fair diagnosis, number one, what I just laid out? Look, here? it's tough. The system is set up against us, right? It's set up against us to fail. Any third party, right? Do you find any other third parties that are great? No, but I at least like the idea of the yes, libertarians. Right? Like, so, I'm not on board the green stuff, so yes, I want the libertarians. they're collapsing too. I mean, yeah. a lot of the third parties collapse because the system is against them. But I say the same thing always. The panacea, the cure-all, is victory. When we begin to win, people will come up with our, on, our, on our team. A lot of the people who believe in us don't join our party because of that. Yeah. So it's chicken and egg. 
Yeah. Right. The party isn't awesome because awesome people aren't flooding to it because the party isn't awesome. Yeah. Therefore, awesome people aren't flooding to it. Right. Yeah. It's a chicken and egg. So once we become a real party where people actually are saying, wow, these guys can win. So one of the reasons why I'm running as a libertarian, right? I'm not, jump, I'm not jumping ship and joining another party and trying to go on some other party. I'm running as a libertarian. I'm doing it on purpose. I want to show people a third party can have impact and can win and join the third parties. My candidacy, assuming I do very well, doesn't just help libertarians. It helps any third party. But obviously, heavily my party, that's what I care about. Yeah. <laughs> but it will help others also. Right. So you're right. It's a problem. Of course it is. But all the parties are a problem. Look, the Republicans and Democrats have kooks also, right? They have crazy yeah, people. there's no doubt do. about it. It's just there's so few of us that I would stand out. Yeah. And one of scrutiny. I mean, the things that, the things that politicians who are Democrats, Republicans have said are far worse than what libertarians have said. Mm -hmm. But it's whatever, they're the, main, they're the two old parties, so they get a pass. Yeah. I'm not mad at it, it's the way it is. It's a burden that we have, that I've accepted, and I've taken on, it's the burden I take on, but here's the glory. If I win this battle, my victory is sweeter, because I had all the burdens. I'm fine with it, it's what it is. Yeah, all right, so before we get into the specifics of New York and what your libertarian principles are and things like that, tell me a little bit about your history, because you are actually born and bred in New York. And I you've am. Got, you've got an interesting uh, history and we're in the Marines and all sorts of stuff. So, I was. So go, I'll give take this, me back. I'll give you the short version. I'm born in Manhattan, um, biracial parents in the 60s. My mom gives me up for adoption because she can't handle the issues of biracial issues in, in her family. I'm very lucky, I get adopted very young. I think I was six weeks old by a lovely couple who took me to the Bronx, a German immigrant and um, her husband who was uh, in, uh, in the army in Germany, and that's how we met her. So I'm raised in the Bronx from around um, nine or 10 in that area, 11. And at that point, my mother had actually divorced and met another man who was my actual father, who actually raised me and taught me how to be a man. We moved up to Long Island. He died when I was around 12 years old. When he passed, it was just me and my mom. Uh, my mom couldn't handle it. She was really devastated by this. Her family was in Germany. She was here. I was distant. I was a young teenage boy trying to find my way also. When I was 17, I left and joined the Marine Corps. I joined the Marine Corps, I was there for about six years, seven years. When I got out, my mother had already collapsed. She was uh, initially addicted to uh, legal drugs and eventually illegal drugs. She was arrested, victim of the drug war. She went to prison, correct and felon. I got her out and tried to put her back on her feet. I tried to help her to, she left the prison with two garbage bags. That was what her life was. So I helped her get back on her feet, try to get a job. I saw how hard it was for her to get a job. I mean, she was always lying on every form because if they knew she was a felon, they wouldn't hire her. Yeah. And when she was working, <clears throat> she had to always lie. And, and she was a hostage, basically. I became an entrepreneur because I didn't want my, my mom to be a hostage. So we started our own business. Me and her and my stepdad, who was another man she, she had married afterwards. And so we stopped, started business together so that she could be her own person and not be a hostage. Yeah. That was our first business. Um, after that, got up and running. I left that, had a bunch of sales jobs, and then decided, to, um, then decided to start my own business again. That business did not go well. I sold that one off. Um, then I went and got this business, which I've had for 14 years. I'm a consultant, a trainer. I've been an officer in a public company twice. I've taught in colleges. I teach now at Baruch, sometimes John Jay. I've taught the, at the graduate level of, uh, as a guest instructor uh, at Yale and Columbia. So I've taught a lot. I do a lot of executive coaching, training, leadership, sales, that kind of stuff. I'm an entrepreneur, I've been doing it for 14 years, and two years ago I saw an opportunity to jump on board the Libertarian Party as a uh, VP nominee, so I tried to get the VP slot. I lost the bill well by 30, 31 votes, not that anyone's counting. Yeah. <laughs> um, and now I'm running for governor. Well, that, that was two years ago or that was in 2012? 
2016. That was 2016. 2012 okay. was when I first came to the party. Okay. Okay. I was not. I was not really political at all. When I was a when I was a youngster, do you want to hear the story? Yeah. When I'm hey, a youngster, I'm interviewing you. All right, I love what it. What do you think we're doing here? I'm happy to yap away. You give me out talk <laughs> I, for I seven hours. I think that hours. was the first time anyone's ever said that to me. I love it. Do you want to hear the story? Well, I want to make sure your so. audience wants to hear my cool stuff. I don't want to just yap away and they're like, you know, clicking off. I want them to watch. I don't know. You want to have a drink instead? I don't know. What do you want to do? If that would make it better, maybe. <laughs> all right, let's see what so, happens with the story. So. Um, <laughs> As a youngster, I grew up in New York City, and of course, Democrats are good and Republicans are evil. That's how it works, right? You're evil because you have an R by your name, you're good because you have an E by your name. Yeah. Who, well, who was the mayor at the time? This is what, I don't what, remember. what, what years are we Koch? talking? I think, I think it was Ed Koch. Ed Koch, okay. Ed Koch. I loved Ed Koch, yes, although but, I grew up in Long Island, but we were a big yeah. Koch family. But, um, but it wasn't about him, it was about the party. Yeah. My mom and dad were strict Democrats, that's who you are. You were a Democrat because they were good and Republicans were evil. Yeah. But when I joined the Marine Corps at 17, I, the Marine Corps is a very conservative branch when it comes <clears> to the branches. And most of my friends and people I know and leaders that I respected, they were mostly conservative Republicans. Uh, Ronald Reagan was my first commander in chief. So I think I kind of became more of a Republican as a, as a teen and as a young 20-something. I became more of a Republican, so I kind of shifted back. I was never part of a party, and I only voted in the presidential elections because it was absentee. I, wasn't, I was always overseas. So I voted via mail, so I didn't even register locally to, to do the uh, local elections. Yeah. So, so, can we pause there for one sec? Because sure. So you mentioned you're biracial. Yep. And I hate making anything about race because we're so overly yep. racialized now in identity politics and all this. But I think that a certain amount of my audience, when they hear you say that, all right, so you were, you were uh, Ronald Reagan was your commander in chief. Yep. And you were identifying as a Republican yep. back then yes. at, as a black man. Yep. Um, you know, I've had many black conservatives on here, some yep. of whom I consider great friends, like Larry Elder and I bet. Well, this was the 80s. So, so Thomas Solon and, and many are. No, so that's why I wanted yeah. to ask you about that. Yeah. What, what was it like then to take that political well, position? Well, I wasn't very political, if that made any sense. Like, I wasn't yeah. talking about things. I did, but I even really, internally for you. I didn't care. To be forward to you, I didn't care. If you, I don't care now. I didn't care then, I don't care now. <laughs> yeah. I am who I am, I believe what I believe, and you like it or you don't, and that's how it is. I didn't care then either. Right on, man. So I didn't really care, to be fair with you. Some people thought I was crazy, my parents thought I was insane. <laughs> of course, but whatever, I didn't care. I didn't talk about it much. It wasn't, I was worried about you know chasing girls at 19, 20 years old. I was yeah. rubbing a Marine. I, was, I wasn't worried about it. It wasn't part of my life, to be fair with you. I, I look back now and I, I wish it was. I wish I had known more stuff then but I was a young guy trying to figure out how to be a man. I wasn't really thinking about that very much. So that's why eventually in the 90s, I went to, I went to Perot because mm -hmm. I just didn't want the R's or the D's. Then I went to Nader in 2000 because I didn't want the R's or the D's. I knew that the R's and the D's were the same. There was no difference. I knew they were all putting my friends in jail. I knew they were all, the war on drugs and the war on terror wasn't gonna stop. That, that stuff was gonna be bad no matter what I did. Excuse me. So. I just, and again, if you would have asked me what was Perot, what was, uh, what was uh, Nader's policies, I couldn't have told you. I just knew they weren't the mainstream and therefore they were good enough for me. And again, people thought I was crazy and I didn't care. So finally in 2008, I was considering not voting at all anymore. I was really finished. I was like, who cares? It doesn't matter. I'm running a business. I'm gonna run my business, make my money, become a bazillionaire, and who cares who's in charge? Cause I'll run them, cause I'll have all the money. That was my <laughs> logic in 2004. Yeah. So, but 2008, when Obama came, I thought, okay, this is different. He's a city guy, he's black, this is the guy. He's different, he speaks differently, people are excited. All right, you know what, maybe this is the guy. And I, I had hope, I, I bought the hope and change, I bought it. Mm -hmm. 
And when I so this is it, before you added sort of a libertarian awakening, right? Actually, I I this is I was having a libertarian awakening, but, but that I, sort of overrode it. But I got to tell you how I became there. Yeah, I became libertarian not through politics. I became libertarian through Robert Ringer. Do you know Robert Ringer? I don't think so. Robert Ringer is a business guy. He's a is objectivist. And he had wrote many books, looking out for number one, to be a, not to be intimidated, nothing happens uh, unless something moves, action. He talks about how to brand yourself. He talks about how to be successful in business and life. I was a trainer, it's what I still do now. He was one of my you know, mentors. I don't, I don't know him personally, but I read his books. I was part of his website, so I knew who he was. So he, he got me into reading Ayn Rand. I didn't come to libertarianism through politics. I came into business, I'm a business guy. Right. Yeah. So I was reading Atlas Shrugged because he said read Atlas Shrugged, not because some political guy did. I didn't know who Ron Paul was, doesn't he? I had no <laughs> idea. I wasn't political. I was a business guy. Yeah. The only reason why I cared about Obama is because he was so different, it got my attention. So again, I didn't really understand his policies, if that made any sense. Yeah, I just thought, he's sure. different. He's not them. It can't be worse. That was my thought process. So as I'm moving towards objectivism in that regard, I'm not an objectivist, and I've never been one. But some of the market ideas made sense to me. The idea of Austrian economics made sense to me. I didn't know it was Austrian economics, though, because uh-huh. I'd never read Friedman. I'd never read those. I didn't know. I read Robert Ringer. Yeah. And he had told me what his, his views. So I got everything secondhand through him. So I was already teaching. I was teaching post-industrial leadership. I was teaching buy-in. I was teaching sales is, is not about forcing someone to do something, getting them to do it. I was teaching volunteerism not knowing what it was called or what it was. Yeah. I was already doing it in my own business. So anyway, I was, I was having that change between 2004 and about 2010 anyway, that was happening already. I was already changing my business model and doing it already. After crash hit, I had to jump into it a lot because I was crushing the crash, crash devastated me. So anyway, I, 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 I think Obama's great. After the first year I realized he's no different. Again, I'm finished, I'm like it's over. Until 2012, I hear Gary Johnson speak. And people say, well, Gary Johnson, he's an awesome speaker. No, but he was a business guy. I'm a business guy. I could hear him. I couldn't hear anyone else because I didn't care. I could only hear the person who I was. I identified with him. Self-made man, growing a business. I identify with Gary Johnson, and I still do. And so when he decided to talk, I said, oh, I get it. And I came to the party because of him. But to be forward, I didn't join the party still right away. I never joined a party in my, in my life, I never joined a party. But at this point I thought, you know what? I'm gonna go to the meetings. I've never been to a party meeting before. And I went to the meetings. And when I went to Libertarian Party meetings, as odd as they were, and they are odd, <laughs> it was still just regular people. It wasn't crazies, it was regular people, mm. business owners, people who wanted to see some change. I identified quickly with them and I joined. So I joined the party in 2012 and that's when I became a Libertarian. Yeah, But when I joined the party, I hadn't read Bastiat. I hadn't read, for, I, I didn't read any of them. I, had, I didn't even know them. So that's when I joined, the, I began looking around, and then I, then I read the law. My, still my favorite of all of them was, is Bastiat, it's my favorite. Mm-hmm. That was the simplest and the one that I identified with the most. Still my favorite, but I read all the rest also. I began to read them, right? I read the word, Road to Serfdom, I began to read those afterwards. But they were easy for me to understand, and people, they tease me, go, Larry, you, you've been in the movement so short, short time, but you can, you can talk with the principles. I've been teaching them for 14 years, yeah. but not under the name, right? In a different world. Yeah. So it was very easy for me to adapt and to bring those, those things uh, to bear. So I voted for Gary Johnson in 2012. 
And I supported his candidacy completely in 2016. I was running around doing debates in his stead. I was on TV instead for him. Anything he wanted, I would do. So I jumped through hoops for him because I, I wish he was our president now. Yeah. I wish he was. So I, I don't want to belabor the point with Gary. I voted for Gary. Yep. I, did, I did a video in the summer before the election of why it would be great to support him, even 100%. though he wasn't a perfect candidate, et cetera, et cetera. But he, he had a couple gaffes that were pretty bad. And I, I also, I don't even blame him for them in a certain way because mm -hmm. it was the only, to your point, it was the only way he could get press. Like yep. the only time they talked about him yes. was Aleppo. Absolutely. Or the other moment where he couldn't name a leader that he respected. Yep. But the one, the one policy point that really bothered me with him, and I don't know, maybe, maybe we don't see eye to eye on this, is that he wanted the, the baker to bake the cake. Well, let me touch two, two of those things. Yeah. The first thing is every problem that Gary Johnson had is fixed with good advisors. Everyone, yeah. yeah, repaired with good advisors. Yeah. Every problem he had, you get him good advisors, fixed. Yeah. Clinton and Trump, I don't care who you put in front of them. <clears throat> it's irrelevant. Who do you put, whatever team you put in front of them. They have character flaws. Mm -hmm. Johnson doesn't have that. So you're Just right. As a, as a human being. Yes. Yeah, he's, I, I'm telling you, I mean, yes. I, I don't have to tell you, but I mean, I sat 100%. there with him for an hour and some time off camera, and I Absolutely. thought this is a decent human 100%, being. 100%, yes. I'm, I'm with you. So if I had a choice, I'd rather him be president now, without question, of course. Yeah. But the second piece, to bake the cake. He didn't do a good job explaining what he really meant. And I, let me try to explain it to make it clearer. He understood the cultural aspects of this, as do I as a person of color. Yeah. Right? There is a, we've had literally decades, if not centuries, of state-sponsored segregation, punishment by gender, by, by, by race, by, by sexual preference, that is still in the psyche of the American. It feels terrible to do what is right, if that makes any sense. Yeah. It feels terrible. And while the person goes, but it's wrong, I get it, emotion and culture matter. And what he was trying to get at, which is my policy here, was to find a good, solid middle ground. I do not want a baker to make a cake for someone he doesn't want to make a cake for. That's his labor, having to do it for someone. That's wrong, should never happen. So here is the, the, here is the good compromise. Yeah. If a baker or anyone, anyone creates a product and puts it into the retail market, whether that be online or on a shelf in a store, if a person creates a product and puts it there, he must allow anyone who has the currency that he wants to purchase that product. So, so far, Period. I'm with you so far. Now that, he, you could say, and, and purists will say, no, Larry, he can say no to anyone. So that would be the set of people who would like to go back and reverse this 64 Civil Liberties Act, Yes, right? and, I'm, and I'm saying, just let, now, if the person is, I want that cake off the shelf, and literally, you're Jewish, and he's a Nazi with a swastika on his arm, you must say, take it, you have the money, take my take, take it out of here. So this he, is, hold on. Yeah. He then says, I now want you to put on it so-and-so. No, you can refuse that service because now that's not retail. Mm -hmm. That's you doing a service for that individual. You should absolutely be able to say, no, I will not put anything on that cake at all. That's the way it is. That's why I made it for anyone. If you want it, take it. That's not good enough for you. Have a nice day. That is my compromise, and I think that's what Gary Johnson actually meant to say. Because if you heard the way he said it, and when I spoke to him about it, he understood what I was saying. Ah, then I wish, because I, I, yes. I'm with you on what you I, just said yes. there, I'm with you. I'm tr and I, wanted, I tried to defend him with that, but it didn't come across right. And I think he did, and it, because for him to be forward, I'm gonna defend him, 
I defend him often. <clears throat> yeah. It's emotional for him, so it didn't come across well. Mm-hmm. It's emotional for me too. Right? I know what it's like. I know personally what it's like to be, to be ignored mm-hmm. in a restaurant. I know what that's like. A lot of people don't. It feels terrible. Now, to be forward, I think that's a good compromise. The Ruben Report is brought to you by our friends at Stitch Fix. Some of us have style and some of us just don't. I like a clean and classic look and have filled my closets with high quality basics that can make any outfit easier to pull together quickly. But if you're struggling to find your own signature wardrobe, style isn't impossible to attain thanks to Stitch Fix. Stitch Fix has reinvented how we find and buy clothes. I love using Stitch Fix to keep my wardrobe up to date. I absolutely can't spend my valuable time schlepping to the mall and you shouldn't have to either. With Stitch Fix, you can say goodbye the horrible mall dressing room lighting forever. Just log on to their website, answer some basic questions about your sizes, favorite styles, and budget right from your laptop, smartphone, or tablet. After you answer the questions, your personal Stitch Fix stylist springs into action, hand-selecting five brand new clothing items just for you. Personal stylist sounds like something only the rich and famous can buy, but you can afford it too. Stitch Fix's styling fee is only $20, which is applied as a credit towards any clothing item that you decide to keep. Best of all, since your personal stylist only uses your preferences to pick your clothes, you're still in control. Once your items arrive, try them on and only pay for what you keep. Don't like something? Need another size? Just send the items back, no questions asked. And shipping is always free both ways. Get your fix whenever you want or sign up to receive scheduled shipments. The choice is yours. Hurry to stitchfix.com slash Ruben and get started now. Keep all five items in your box and you'll get 25% off your entire purchase. That's stitchfix.com slash Ruben, stitchfix.com slash Ruben. The Ruben Report is brought to you by our friends over at Dollar Shave Club. If you ever shower or brush your teeth or comb your hair or anything like that, congratulations, you're a functional human being and I'm proud of you. If you're looking to upgrade the daily hygiene routine you've already mastered, I've also got some good news for you. Dollar Shave Club has a lot of stuff to help you take it to the next level. It's a fact, Dollar Shave Club delivers everything you need to look, feel, and smell your best. They've got everything you need to get ready in the morning. You name it, they've got it. Shampoo, conditioner, body wash, tooth paste, hair gel, even a wipe that'll leave your butt feeling tingly clean. All of Dollar Shave Club's products are made with top shelf ingredients that won't break your budget, but don't skimp on quality you'll feel the difference. I've said it before and I'll say it again, I'm a big fan of their Amber and Lavender Body Calming Cleanser. It smells great and is my go-to soap after I take a long flight to help me wind down after weeks of travel. And here's a great way to try a bunch of Dollar Shave Club's products. For just five bucks, you can get their Daily Essentials Starter Set. It comes with Body Cleanser, One Wipe Charlie's, their amazing butt wipes, their world-famous Shave Butter, and their best razor, the Six Blade Executive. Keep the blades coming for a few more bucks a month and then add in shampoo, toothpaste, or anything else you need for the bathroom. Check it all out at dollarshaveclub.com slash Ruben. That's dollarshaveclub.com slash Ruben. Okay, so I'm with you on that. I'm glad you cleaned it up for yourself, and I'm yes. glad you cleaned it up for Gary, because I, I feel kind of, because I know he's a decent guy, and I don't like giving him crap for it. What would you say to the part of the libertarians mm-hmm that want to go that extra step, Mm -hmm. that say either the 64 Act should be repealed because we don't need these laws anymore, or that no, you just, even if it's just the same old product on your shelf and you just don't like the way somebody looks because you are a bigot, Mm -hmm. it's still your stuff, and and what do you you say to them? They are theoretically correct and realistically wrong. Uh, And if they don't accept the compromise, they're going to get worse. 
This is the problem that a lot of the more hardcore libertarians don't understand. I'll be clear. I love them. I want them in the party. They are critical. They are the backbone of the party. They are our, our harshest and most powerful activists. We need them. Yeah, and you believe that that's not based in bigotry. That's at based, all. Yeah, no, and that's an important, but that's an it's important not. distinction. It's based on righteousness. And they're right. The problem is, if you don't take that first step, you will get nothing, but not just nothing, those people who keep voting are gonna keep voting our rights away. They do it every single year. They keep voting our rights away as we accept everything or nothing. Mm -hmm. It isn't nothing, it's worse. It's worse. Give us the compromise that makes sense. They'll see the world doesn't end. They'll see there's not a zombie apocalypse. <laughs> and then we can move to the next level. Yeah. Is that part of the problem of being sort of an outlier party? Because the Libertarian Party that's existed for a long time and it's in on all the ballots, but never really breaks any major thresholds, that part of it is you get too caught up in the purity test. Now, all parties do in a way. But, that, but I think for the third parties, it's maybe a little trickier. And maybe for Libertarians more than else, because if you're really basing it on the individual, the purity test is pretty freaking high is what no, you're gonna make that issue. individual Let me be very do. clear. You, you look at Democrats, Republicans now, they're not actually parties, they're tribes. And I mean that literally, they're tribes. You have whoever is the, the king of the tribe at the moment, the will of the king is the par platform, right? So whatever Trump says, that's the platform, right? Assuming that Bernie's still top of the Democrats, I don't know if he is, whoever is, right? Yeah. Then that's the platform, whoever yeah. the person is. That's the platform, the platform is whoever is on top of the party, which is why they don't argue as much, which is why they close ranks, mm -hmm. right, so easily. The Libertarian Party's different. It actually has an ideology. I can call myself king of libertarians if I want to. That's not gonna go well at all. And no <laughs> one's gonna, go, no one's gonna right. buy it. That's not gonna work. You may wanna change that language for yes, the libertarians. Yes, that is not gonna work at all. Yeah. I can say it if I want to, so what? I'll get laughed out of the party. Yeah. Because it's not about me, it's about our ideology, which is why we argue. To be forward with you, I'm happy we argue, I am, because it makes us a better party, it makes us clearer, it actually makes policy easier for us. Because we don't look at policy that, oh, this policy fits this. No, it's based upon, the, based upon our ideology. So I'm actually happy that we argue. I wish we didn't argue so much so publicly. Right. That's the part that drives me crazy, that we do it so publicly, right. and that we fight so hard, but I'm glad we have an ideology. Yeah. Again, I don't know that it's that you guys are doing it so publicly, it's just that that's the only time that you're seen in public. Yes. <laughs> you know what I mean? That's it's, true it, also. it's a bit of an important distinction. Yeah. So would you say that the way you just described the cake situation is basically your view on government in general? Because again, this is where you can go to a libertarian that really is in an ad cap or the people you described as the backbone, that it basically you're sort of I guess I would just, I mean, this is what I would say a classical liberal is really. It's just that where the rubber meets the road, you understand that there has to be some level of government. Is that sort of your well, guiding principle? Like, look, I, my, my North Star is a full voluntary society. That's my North Star. I would love to have a total and fully voluntary society. How do you define what that is? Where, where government is even voluntary. That would be amazing. But to be full with you, our nation is nowhere near that. I mean, that's, I might as start asking you, what I'd, you know what I'd like? I'd like a world where leprechauns ride unicorns. Yeah. At the moment, it's the same thing. It just doesn't exist. Yeah. It's, we're nowhere near there. And one reason why I'm attacking New York State as, as hard as I am campaigning so hard is, if we can just stop the bleeding, <clears throat> if we can just stop it from shifting left. Right now, I don't know if you know, we're talking in New York State, about giving teachers 
the right to tell law enforcement if a child is dangerous so they can now confiscate that child's parents' guns. We're talking about that now. That's the new thing about New York State. We're, ju- we're going so far away, it's not even funny. So to talk about this, it's imaginary. I just wanna turn it around. Let me do that. If I do that, we got a shot of getting there. I probably will never see a voluntary society in my life. I probably won't. It'd be awesome if I could. But can I turn us around so we're facing it at least? That I can do. Yeah. That I can absolutely do, and I can do that in my lifetime. I can do it in New York State. I can do it in the country. We can do that. Yeah. So with that in mind, and when you talk about the principles of the party, how do you generally decide what the right amount of government is then? I mean, you're, you want to be in the government, so the government has to do something. Is it, is it really just on a case-by-case basis of what's always. the lightest touch? It's always, okay. Do you, I don't know, have you ever run for office? Not yet. All right. One of the reasons why it's so hard, there's many reasons why. One is raising money, obviously, the other one's time. But the third one is understanding all the policies. And when you begin to understand how much government intrudes <clears throat> in our life, it's depressing. And I mean that truly, most people have no idea how much government intrudes in our life and how much it actually hurts. It's depressing. I have policy calls every my policy team. We, we on the phone usually anywhere from an hour to two hours every week and discussing policy issues. Sometimes I'm depressed when I'm done because it's so bad. There's no good answer because government problem has been solved with government band-aid, which has been solved by government band-aid. So if you pull off government band-aid, you have three more broken band-aids underneath it that sometimes make things worse. Mm-hmm. Sometimes br- put, taking government off makes it worse because of three more band-aids that are all terrible. Sometimes you have to just say, I can't touch that. I just have to let it stay there. And you have someone who goes, but Larry, that's wrong. They're righteous. That's evil. We have to stop it. There are 3,000 things I have to fix. Some I just can't put on my radar. So yes, it's always case by case. To try to fix government is a Herculean task that no one could do. Yeah. What do you make of the states like New York that have gotten so away from the ideas, forget the policies, forget the 3,000 problems, right? Mm -hmm. But just the basic ideas of why liberty and individualism and limited government and your own capacity to control your property and things of that nature, the the states that have gotten so far away from that, I mean, that's, I guess that's why you're running in the first place. Yeah, it's culture. People ask all the time, they say, you know, what are your first 100 days gonna be like and what are you gonna change? They think I'm gonna walk into New York State as governor and wave my magic wand or bring up my, I'm the king now, everything changes. Of course not, of course not. I wouldn't want to if I could, right? I can't and I wouldn't want to if I could. That kind of fast change makes people afraid. And here's the reason, to be clear, it's all about fear. When people are afraid, they make bad decisions. That's simply human nature. Fear makes bad decisions. Fear is the root of aggression. Government, at the end, is law. At the end of every law, there's a couple minor exceptions, but almost every law, at the end of every one, is a guy or a gal with a gun to put you in a cage. Which means, by default, law is force. Government is force. Now, should we never use force? No, no, you can use force. Defend your rights, property, you can use force. But when you are afraid, your first step is force. So when you are afraid, your first step is government. 
And that's what happens in the states like New York, California. The first answer is government. It's the old, there ought to be a law. Yeah. I don't like this, there ought to be a law. This is wrong, there ought to be a law. And that culture has been part of us for at least 50 years, if not more. I mean, just decades upon decades, it's been that way. I used to do the same thing, right? Oh, someone's smoking in front of me. There ought to be a law. Yeah. I used to think the same way until I was enlightened and go, oh no, that's a bad idea. Why would I do that? Yeah. But I thought I was righteous. And the thing that we have to remember is, we also idealize the idea of democracy. We idealize this. Well, we voted. There's a law. The story I love, I tell this all the time. I was speaking to a, an IP attorney, intellectual property attorney, and she was talking to me about intellectual property law. And I'm making this up, I don't remember the actual rules, so she said something, and again, I'm not a lawyer, I'm gonna just say numbers so that we have some. You know, after, copyright law is you know, 95 years after the person's death. It was something like that. And I said, 95 years after their death? She goes, yeah. I said, what a terrible law. It's horrible. She said, yeah, Larry, but it's the law. <laughs> and I said, I, I know. I'm not doubting that you're a lawyer. I'm sure you know the law. I'm sure that's true. And it's a bad law. She said, but Larry, you understand. We had to change our laws to match international law. So now we match international law. And I said, great. That's a really bad international law. She looked at me like, oh. She was angry at me yeah. because in her eyes, law equals righteousness. Right. They're yeah. the same. There's no difference. International law equals extra righteousness. <laughs> it's just, it's amazing. Yeah. So she was mad at me because in her eyes, I was a heretic. That's how she saw me. Now, she didn't make the law. It wasn't her idea. She was not a congressperson who did it. No, she's simply a priest of the law. And I'm a heretic. And she was mad at me. Now you might think, well, that's only lawyers. Guy at the Department of Buildings in New York. I'm talking to him. This guy's educated, smart, credentialed. I say to him, I say, um, I'm kind of curious about the landmarking law. And if you may not know, landmarking in New York City is when you can actually, you know, kind of uh, a community can say this property is landmarked and now nothing can be done to that property unless the community agrees. Lots of people want it. They want to protect their community so they can't, developers can't come in, they do it all the time. Is that just for a building or is that for actually, can it be for like a group of buildings or a park? I think, or, I uh, think it's one building at a time. Yeah, okay. I'm pretty sure it's one property at a time. Okay. But I'm sure they do it in groups, but I think it's one property at a time. Yeah. So you can also have that happen to you without you wanting. The community can just landmark your property. That can mm -hmm. happen. And it has happened a couple times. So now the community landmarks your property. So I told the guy, I said, how is that okay? I don't understand how that works. And the guy told me, Larry, it's the same lower use for when a building is condemned. And I said, ah, oh, that, that makes sense, right? Condemning makes sense. If a building collapses, thousands could die. Totally makes sense. I see a victim, got that law, I'm in. Good. When it comes to landmarking, where's the victim? He went, no, no, Larry, you don't understand. It's the same law we use for condemning. <laughs> I said, I get that, totally get it. Yeah, yeah. Where's the victim? Larry, it's the same law. Because in his eyes, again, law, equals righteousness. This is a mindset we have in, for many Americans. And we have to break that mindset. The idea that just because it's a law doesn't make it righteous by default. Lots of laws have been bad and been overturned and are wrong. Lots of them are. Law doesn't make it righteous. But we say it. Well, we voted. Now it becomes okay now. Great, I vote, you give me all your stuff. Awesome. <laughs> I guess you have to give me all your stuff now. You can't have all my stuff. Yeah, well, there we go. But, but I voted. So we got a problem. I try to tell people when I go through New York State, I'm trying to change the concept of government. Right now, government, most of the time, is just this. It enforces the will of the majority. 
I want government's primary purpose to be to instead defend the rights of the individual, specifically when you have localization from the local bullies who will pop up because local bullies will always pop up. But now local bullies are validated by the big government because you voted. So local bullies have more power than ever. Instead, the, the state government should be defending the individual against local bullies, against eminent domain, against property rate, uh, tax hikes, against uh, speeding tickets that are $405 for a speeding ticket. We should be defending them against the local bullies, but we're not. All right, so let's talk about some of the unique issues in New York, because sure. although a lot of states have you know, a big city and then a rural area, New York really has it. And I remember growing up in New York, where there were always, you know, I'd read Newsday was the Long Island paper, mm -hmm. and they were always talking about the fights between New York City and Albany because we have this huge rural upstate area. The upstate area right now is extremely economically depressed. Absolutely. I, I went to SUNY Binghamton. I, I know the area pretty well. Um, how do you deal with, as someone that wants to be the governor of the state, the chief yeah. executor of the state, how do you deal with having what is it, something around like eight million people? Eight and a half million people in New York City, 16 million in the metro area, if you include parts of Connecticut, parts of Jersey, Long Island, parts of uh, Westchester County. So it's mm -hmm. about 16 million metro area. It's New York City is the largest city in America. Yeah. And by far, it's <clears throat> over double LA. LA's the second, and it's over double. Yeah. So it is by far the large, largest city in America. There are more people in one of our boroughs than at least 10 states, mm -hmm. just one of our boroughs. There are more people in New York City than there are in 40 states. That's how big we are, we're massive. There are, there are, um, but not just that. New York City is very unique in that about one third of its population is not born in the country, and another, about one third is not born in, in, the, uh, in the city. So we are li literally a magnet for talent. Mm -hmm. Which is why, because we're a magnet for talent, and we have 60 million people who are possible candidates for you know, customers, candidates for, um, for jobs, you know, we can basically be a communist state and still function. <laughs> Right, because we have so many advantages. Our, our advantages are so high, yeah. it, it's, people say, how can you possibly work in New York City? There's so many advantages. And we have the massive advantage of finance. I mean, finance is a massive part of New York City and Manhattan's uh, infrastructure, it's huge. So basically the machine just keeps churning That's through, correct. through people, through jobs, through everything else. So the more, yes. we, the more you push out, the more you bring in. Absolutely, yeah. so, that, so it just keeps happening. Yeah. The rest of New York State is not that way at all. Yeah. Western New York, Central New York, Northern, Northern Country, Southern Tier, Long Island, very different, yeah. Di different. And one of the things I'm doing is I'm trying to show them something very important. This has to come down to localization. It's making government smaller in general. Right? New York State has several problems. As you talked about the city from the rest, which is very different, but also 70% of New Yorkers don't vote. In certain counties upstate, only one in seven vote. They've given up. They've just given up. It's learned helplessness, yeah. right? They've just totally given up. And we have over 100,000 New Yorkers leaving our state every single year. Over 100,000, about a million in the last eight years. Walking away. Now, you say, oh my God, they're walking away. New York City must be getting killed. No, New York City's population, same or higher. Yeah. All coming from upstate, western New York, all coming from Long Island, leaving. It's youth flight. All our young people are getting educated and leaving, or leaving and educating someplace else, not coming back. Yeah, is that Constantly. mostly a tax issue? I'm sorry? Is that mostly a tax issue Not or a just job that. issue? It's everything. Yeah. It's high cost of living, yeah. no opportunities. Those two things combined. But it can't change because we have a thing called unfunded mandates and it is devastating our state. And what does that mean? That means in a given county, up to 95, sometimes over 100% of the budget is already mandated 
by Albany, our capital, or by DC. So who's running the county? Someone else's. Mm -hmm. Why show up? We have local cities and towns where, where we don't have enough people to fill all the billets. Four people show up. Okay, I guess you're the chair, I'm the vice chair, you're a secretary, because we're here. Mm. Right? And no one else shows up ever unless they're angry. So then angry people show up against them. It by default becomes us versus them. They go in their back room, create their edicts, and announce to the people. And we have local tyrants. But more importantly, how do I get things done in my county when I have to buy all these things mm -hmm. as mandated by the state and by the, the federal government? I have to raise money somehow. Only two ways. There's a loophole in New York State when it comes to property taxes. Every other tax has to be voted on by the people. Property tax, no, only by the council. So officially, our governor will tell you there's a 2% cap in property tax. Mm -hmm. But there's an exception if it's an emergency. So they go behind closed doors, declare an emergency, and raise property tax 9%. 10%, what what 10%. do they count as an emergency? I need money. Know. We don't have enough money. The unfunded mandates okay. go past our budget. Uh -huh. So two choices. Option one is that, property taxes. Option two, you use law enforcement as a profit center. So now that, that parking ticket that was 100 bucks is now 300 bucks. Mm -hmm. Speeding ticket that was 50 bucks is now 500 bucks. It's so bad that a lot of places in New York State, they don't even want you to come to court anymore. So when you get a bunch of tickets, they actually just sell the tickets off to a collection agency, get 30 cents on a dollar, and they ruin your credit. Because they don't wanna waste your time bringing you in for court because you might not be able to pay. They don't care if you pay. Yeah. They're actually getting the money from the collect agency. So they get a bunch of tickets, collect agency gets it, you, you go to court whenever you want with them. So, okay. So Hear, Hearing everything you just said there, it's, it, that's like one of those things to me that it makes so much sense. Yeah. It shows what the glut is, the, the middle management, corruption and greed and all that oh, stuff. Oh, I'm not even close but to that part. No, no, I, I know well, we I can get there. For you. But, but let's just pause for okay. one second though, because as you're saying it, I'm thinking, Man, this is the type of stuff that I think if people really understood, they would be pissed about. But it's like one of those things that as a candidate, explaining this to people and getting people to be like, yes, it is the backdoor deals. At the, you know, this is like one of those issues where it's not easy to put the bumper sticker on and get people to get excited about. It's not. I need to build that wall. I need whatever that thing right, is. Right, exactly. Need you that. need to build that wall yeah, for that. Yeah, I need that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and my, so far I've been using a new New York and safe Main Street. They've been working pretty well. Yeah. So I had a couple of those sayings, we'll see which one actually lands. We're using those right now, yeah. seeing how they work. But yeah, I mean, this is a big problem, right? So of course people don't show up, of course people don't vote. Nothing changes, right? But here's another problem. We have counties where you have one third of the population on Medicaid, one third on Medicare, and a dwindling population. The tax burden going up. New York State has a budget of about $170 billion. Now compared to California, I'm sure that's high school. <laughs> However, I'm gonna, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna compare that to another state, Florida. Florida has more people than us half the budget. Now the, the argument I always get is, but Larry, New Yorkers expect a certain amount of services, then why are 100,000 100, leaving every year and half of them are going to Florida? So many New Yorkers are leaving our state that in the Carolinas they have a name for us. They call us halfbacks. Move to Florida and halfway back. So if we're in the Carolinas, we're called halfbacks. I did not know that. Yes, that's how common it is now. Yeah. We're running everywhere. Every time I do an event, I ask two questions. Question number one, I say, how many people here are thinking about leaving New York? hands always go up. And they look around and go, wow, I thought I was only one. No, half the room. In every place I go, I go to a college, I go to a diner, I go to a VFW, doesn't matter where I go, I go to American Legion, I go someplace, boom, half the hands go up. They're all ready to leave. Most of them are somehow trapped, trapped because of kids, trapped because of job, trapped because their property is in the water, they're trapped. Yeah. But as soon as they can get to that next level, 
They are gone. Huge problem. Second thing I ask all the time is, how many of you have not voted in the past two election cycles? Hands always go up. What does that mean? It means I'm drawing the people in. Because I want to talk about the most important piece here. And that is, talk about impact, what to do. How do I win this thing? This is a winnable race. Six months ago, I wouldn't have said that. Now I know. This is at least a four-person race. It's going to be His Majesty King Cuomo. He will be running, <laughs> for sure. The communist Howie Hawkins will run for the Green Party. The sacrificial lamb will run for Republicans who cannot win, just fighting for second place. Who, who is that even? Uh, Molinaro. Okay. He's a downstate Republican. They picked two downstate Republicans to run for governor and lieutenant governor. Clearly, they surrendered. Yeah. Let's just get as much as we can from New York City and try to get second place. They've surrendered. And then me, at least four. It's possible the actor from Sex and the City, Nixon, will stay in. Maybe. I don't know if she will. After she loses to Cuomo, she may stay in or may not. So it's a maybe. And then maybe someone else, a uh, minor out of um, Syracuse, may run as independent. It's possible. It could have six, but at least four. New York State's a plurality state. It means all I need is more than the rest. There are about 18 million, 19 million New Yorkers. About 12 million uh, eligible to vote. Only about four to five million ever vote. 1.5 million votes. I'm the governor. 30%. I'm the governor. Larry, that's huge. It is. But Gary Johnson got 175,000 votes in my state in 2016. He was there for five minutes. <laughs> he showed up, waved, and walked away. And, and there was 175,000 people who said, I'm so sick and tired. I'll vote for Gary Johnson. I'll do it. I'll do it. I'll do it. I live in the state. I campaign in the state. I've raised more money than everyone except for the governor. You tell me I can't get 10 times that? Five times that even? Of course I can. But more importantly, there are three other people I have to get. Three types. Number one, unhappy Democrats, Republicans. Tons of them. But they ain't not, no shortage. But they're not my number one because many of them will still go back to their old ways. Because most people who vote often usually vote because of fear, not because of hope. They're still afraid the other guy might win. That most of them are still going to go back to their old ways. I get that. But some of them won't. I'll take whatever I can get. But the next one is the single issue voter. The person who cares about only one thing and one thing only. I bring up many of these issues. Uh, the vaping industry. Right? In New York State, they're trying to crush the vaping industry. I don't know why they can't stand it. Trying to destroy the vaping industry. Silly, why would you? Well, if you're a vapor, that's important to you. If you own a, you own a vape shop, that's your livelihood. I could be saying, I want to support the vape industry and kick puppies in the streets. Fine with the puppy thing, just vapes. <laughs> yeah, 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 no problem. That's what they care about. Yeah. That's it, it's all. Yeah. So issues like that, right? People who, father's rights, people who have been crushed by family law. I have an entire policy for fixing the family court system. Has to be completely revamped. There are fathers, at least a million, who've been crushed and destroyed by the family court system in New York State. Mm-hmm. I mean, just devastated. They have higher suicide rates. They've, they've abandoned their families. They're in jail. Horribleness, right? These people care about that issue. I will fix family law. I'm the only one supporting the banking industry. The only one talking about family law. These people vote for me because that's what they care about. People who in New York State who've gotten DUIs, three DUIs or more, and they lose their license in perpetuity no matter what. There are some people who've paid their time in jail, done parole, and have been clean for five years, yeah. clean. You have straightened your life out, you've done your time, you've paid your time in jail, and your parole, never get a license back. Yeah. And if they leave New York State, then the other state won't give them a license because it was revoked. They may never drive again. Yeah, you're not giving them a chance to be a functioning member. They of can't, yeah. that has to go. And people say, but Larry, why would you support these industries? Well, number one of these issues, why? It's right, I'm libertarian. That's what we do. I am righteous, of course I am. Libertarians always, and this is the thing most of them don't get, Libertarians always have the moral high ground, always. They act like we don't, but we always do. I know that, so I take the moral high ground. It's mine, I own it, so I take it. 
And it's, it's right. I'm in a pocket of big DUI. <laughs> I'm in a pocket of big vape. Of course not, yeah, right? Yeah. It shows people that I care, that it makes sense, and they know that when I get into power, I'm still gonna support these people. I'm not, going, I'm not in it for the money. Yeah. These people vote. Tons of these issues, they will jump on board and they will vote. But more than that, there are eight million New Yorkers who don't vote. They vote because of hope. Bernie taught us this and Trump taught us this. Trump gave, gave the right hope, Bernie gave the left hope. Now, if the Democratic Party wasn't so broken, Bernie would have been the nominee. Mm-hmm. And it would have been hope versus hope. <clears throat> and hope won. I think you mean corrupt. Yes. I don't know if it's broken yes, or corrupt. Yes. I think it was intentional, I'm um, pretty I'll sure. Both, either. Yeah. But it would have been hope versus hope. Hope won. Yeah. Hope gets people out of their bed, stop playing video games, and show up. How do you make that happen? By having events. I'm doing events all the time. People are showing up to my events who didn't vote, which means they will show up at the polling booth. Trump and Bernie taught us this. I'm copying them. It's working. Look, look what got you here. I mean, your guys, I started seeing it more and more and yes. more on Twitter. Next thing I know, I think you tweeted at me or one of your guys tweeted at me, and we made it happen. Absolutely. I'll have Cuomo on. Yes. But guess what? But here's the next four pieces. Now, now if I just get 10% of the 8 million, 800,000. I'm halfway there. Plus what I'll pick up, I'm the governor. I get 20%. It's a blowout. This is a winnable race. There are four arenas anyone has to win on to, to get elected. Four. First one, social media. Six months ago, I would have thought I could never win because Cuomo has so much more money than I have. Right? I thought no way I could win. But he, his social media is incompetent. We are winning on social media tomorrow, and this is proof of it. We are killing it in social media. We are winning hands down. But that's just one. The second one is traditional media. This one I struggle in. Traditional media is tough for me. They go for the popular Cynthia Nixon who's popular or the governor. They go with the tried and true. It's yeah. hard to get it. And I live in New York City. New York City, something's always going on. Tough to get coverage. Mm-hmm. So to, to get around that, I've been going upstate, west New York, smaller towns, where they have two choices, right? Some, some guy lost his cow, or Larry Sharp's coming to town. <laughs> That's Larry Sharp. So I've been doing that, so I get a lot of local media. But I've also learned that local media also often overlaps. They also have social media presence. Mm-hmm. Some of the writers are shared among different papers. So I'm getting a lot of press in the local paper. So I'm doing better traditional media. I don't know if I can actually win it. Maybe, maybe not. But that's one, that's one issue that I'm fighting on. I'm trying new tactics to win on that one. The next one's events, as I talked about. Right now, no one else is doing events. I'm the only one doing them. I'm the only one out shaking hands and kissing babies and meeting people. And I'm winning events like there's no tomorrow. I'm winning in events right now. The issue is they will eventually begin doing events. Yeah. When they do, will I, will I have ramped up to speed or not? So I'm questionable on those two. The last one's debates. If you see me debate, I have no problem debating. I will crush them on debates. So I will win social media and debates. The question is, can I win traditional media and or events? If I win three out of four, I'm the governor. Now you said a, you said a key if there, yes. which was if yep. debates. What's the debate situation? No, the odds are all being debates because traditionally yeah. four are always in the debates. They were in 2014, 2010, traditionally they are. It'll be Libertarian, Green, Democrat, Republican. So mm-hmm. odds are of in debates, odds are very high. And they keep you in the debate regardless of polling after yep. that, once they you're in, it's four all the way across. But they probably only do what, two, two or three? Maybe? They do one debate only. Oh, that's one it? One debate in October. One in October, that's all. Man, so that's, that's, like, that's like the show up. And that's the- it. Win, lose, or draw right there. Yeah. I don't mind, I like the odds like that. It's a good odds. What kind of support are you getting from the party itself? Oh, as good as it can be. I mean, look, it's New York State Libertarians. There aren't that many of them. It's a small party. Uh, there are 62 counties in New York. We have about 20 affiliates. So we have 42 counties that don't even have affiliates. 
So it's, it's not a powerful party across the state. We're not even officially a party. We're officially a committee. What do so you- yes, but I, I, the, the, the party is 100% behind me, 100%. Mm-hmm. There isn't that much there. What they can do, they are doing. I'm very happy with what they're doing. I wish I had a bigger party. I wish I had more bodies. I do, I wish I had more bodies. But it's get, luckily, it's getting there. we are, and we're getting more. People from other states are coming also. Other people are joining. And for the first time now, people are now coming to the party because of me, right? Most people who joined me before came to the party because of someone else. Ron Paul, Gary Johnson, Harry Brown, and then saw my candidacy and jumped on board. But now that I've been so active for so many months in New York State, some people are now coming to the party because of me. Those people are now building up our group of, 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 uh, of activists. So I am getting more and more. Again, what I'm getting from the people is amazing. I do need more of them though. Yeah. So we are getting there. Do you sense that there's a rebirth of liberty in this country in general? I mean, I can tell from when I'm out now on the road and touring and the response I get to this show and the amount of emails I get in Twitter, that people are talking about liberty again. They're talking about, it's not just the Tea Party anymore talking about liberty. You talk about liberty, you talk about freedom, you talk about the, the founding documents. People are actually reinvigorated about this stuff. What again. moves people is two things. One, they feel like things are so broken, and then two, someone gives them hope. Revolutions, as they say in Star Wars, are built on hope. They are, it's true, right? The, the Russians stayed, what, 300 years being oppressed, whatever it was, 400 years being oppressed as, as peasants and serfs, until there was some hope. Then the communists gave them hope, yeah. and they revolted. There has to be hope. But it wasn't the communist. Communism had been around for a bit. It was Lenin, right? It was an individual. People bring people to Revolutions, people give other people hope. We're finding better messengers now than we've ever had. Yeah. It's not just Ron Paul, right? It's a lot of us are doing this. And I'm hoping if you've seen my campaign, I'm doing my best. Half of my team is not in New York. And that's on purpose. Is that right? That's no. on purpose. Because I wanna make sure that my, se- I have seven directors and about 50 active volunteers and about 200 in the wings. And I'm purposely doing that because I want people to be able to grow that infrastructure. So that in 2020, we have seven campaign managers. Active campaign, who run a real campaign, who know how to do things like this, who know how to make things work. Libertarian Party does not have an infrastructure. We need it. If we have better infrastructure, we'll have more people like me who want to do this, right? People don't run because they have to run by themselves. It's no infrastructure. Yeah. But now I can say, no, no, here's your team. Better people will run. And they'll run better candidacies. They'll run better uh, campaigns. And when they do that, more people will see them we'll bring more people to the movement. I think there is a rise, but it's because we're having better candidates. Yeah, are you tracking Austin Peterson out in Missouri? I'm a fan. He's been here, we're we're friends, I think he's doing great work. Last I saw a poll just in the last couple of weeks, I mean, it looks like he's beating McCaskill. Uh, I I think that's one of the type of ones, and and potentially yours as well, that I agree with you in that, for sure. That it's like, man, if one of these guys breaks through. I just wish he'd put an L by his name. So I think he had, well, I think he, for, you know, he definitely is a libertarian. There's no doubt about that. No, no, I think he I'm a, a fan, yes, yeah, yeah, I'm yeah, a, yeah. to be forward. I'm on record. Yeah, I, was yeah, one, yeah. I was probably the only guy on the, on the, uh, in the libertarian leadership who said, please stay. Yeah. I openly, wanted, I called him, I wanted him to stay. I wanted him to stay. And, and what, did, what did he say to that? Was he it was, just he, real politics? It was real politics, he's telling the truth. He's like, look, everyone's telling me to go Republican. You're like, you're like one of the only guys telling me to go libertarian. Yeah. I was one of the only guys, it's true. So at but the I end still, of the day. I still wanted to be libertarian. But at the end of the day, you still want him to win. Of course. Like, yeah, yeah. Clearly, yes. Of course I want him to win. I can't yes. tell how you feel. Yes, of course I want him to win. Yes. Yeah. Would I rather have him on McCaskill in the Senate? It's not even close. Yeah. I mean, there's 
Not even close. Of course not. Of course I want him to win. I don't want, I don't want McCaskill to win. Of course. Of course I want him to win. Yes. I'm just saying, oh, look, I'm selfish. I'd rather have an L by his name. Yeah. But I'll take him in the RLC. It'll, I'll, deal, I'll deal with him in the RLC. So I'll tell you one of my fears about what could potentially happen with the Libertarians, because I do, you can see I'm, I'm with you on, on so much of this stuff. And it, even though, again, as I call myself a classical liberal, there's plenty of room for agreement here, okay? Great. And, and where, there's, where there might be little disagreement, that's, that's rich, right? I love that's it. a great place to do it. Okay. What I'm a little concerned about is that the movement of liberty is going to grow and grow and grow. It's going to mm-hmm. do real nice. You'll probably do pretty well. If, if not win, you'll do pretty well. Austin, if not win, will do pretty well. I think there are a couple other candidates around that are going to do pretty well. And then it will grow into something that nationally, come 2020, is going to be actually more viable than it was even under Gary Johnson. They'll get someone that's probably younger and more tech savvy and whatever. It'll be someone kind of cool. And, uh, and that they're going to then take like, they're going to poll at some unheard of number for libertarians yep. at a national level, something like 15%. And we're going to win electoral votes in 2020. So all in good so far. 2020, we are going to win electoral votes. So I'm with you, and yep. I agree, but do you see why I see the danger there, too? What's danger? The, the, the oncoming danger would be that you'd be pulling all of those votes from the right and that you end up no. helping. Now, no, oh, this is no. not a defense of the right, and I got no. what you're going to do here. No, that'd be horrible. <laughs> I, look, but what I, if you then end up with some seriously extreme good. lefty? Good. Yeah? Good. Sell me on this. Let me be very clear. We have two choices. Option one. Stay in this slow road to oblivion, which is where we're going now. Or shake things up and get something to happen. He, someone asked me the other night, I was at an event, I was at a, a, um, a sportsman's uh, event of the night in Suffolk County last night. And the guy said, well, Larry, we have, what if you, you know, take a lot from the Republican? I said, I hope I tear him to pieces. I hope I beat, I hope he gets 5%. Oh my God, what happened? <laughs> then Republicans will learn their lesson and have to be Republicans. They can't be Democrat light anymore. Good. I hope, I hope that happens. Let it happen. I don't care. All the Democrats get killed. Get that smashed. Good. Maybe they'll have to care about civil liberties. If libertarians do well, regardless of who's crushed, whoever gets crushed, their lesson has to be learned or they disappear. They disappear, we replace them. Awesome. They don't disappear. Yeah. They get better. There's nothing but good well, in I, us crushing either side or both. Well, I guess if we what I would... Republicans, so what? They'll be better Republicans. If we demonstrate Democrats, so what? They'll be better Democrats. Doesn't matter. Yeah, I guess it's the hammer that you ultimately need. That's correct. My, my fear would be that then, because I believe the left has gone so far mm-hmm. left, that the idea of potentially helping them put in policies that would be 180 degrees from everything you just said, yep. said there, that would put in all the de Blasio stuff that you hate in yes. New York City and all that, that I would really, really fear that. But you just view it as almost a necessary evil to- I'm looking at it myself be- now. It, you would just, you're assuming then that when this happens, people jump on board. They don't, they give up. Mm-hmm. New York is an example of that. 70% don't vote. The people don't actually like these ideas. Yeah. They've given up. Yeah. They think there's no hope. So they've given up. Guess what? Here comes Mr. Hope. This opens the door for me. So it happens, and 2020, libertarians are amazing, and we crush the right. It does happen, and there's a, whatever, Bernie is the, the president, whatever the case may be. All the people have no hope when 2022 comes around for the, for the, for the um, Senate races and for the House races, you will watch libertarians say, see what happened? Hope, and you will watch a sweep into power in 22. And then 2024, boom, you'll watch the presidency. Good.
Good. And Democrats will be afraid or they won't. They, they'll either think mm. we know everything and they'll lose it. They'll also hit Hillary. That was it. That was it. We know everything and Trump beat them. Mm-hmm. Or they'll change. Either way, it's a win. I have no worries. Yes. I, I hope you're right. I don't care which one happens. Crush <laughs> them both. Crush either. It's irrelevant. It's the right answer. It's the only way you make the change. Whenever you have to have positive change, there has to be some disruption. And we're afraid of disruption. We can't. Let's just let people know there will be disruption. Let's hold their hand through it. And boom, the other side's awesome. Yeah. All right, let's just knock out a couple policies. And then, uh, then I send you back to New York to get cracking, man. I do. I want you to. Yeah. Um, okay, so I think on the drug stuff, marijuana, you're for legalization, correct? Not just legalization of marijuana, but also hemp. Yeah. And I want it to be regulated, as I say this all the time, for farmers like onions. I don't want to write new rules and regulations that'll take forever. I want us to take onions, cut and paste, hemp, marijuana, go. And the reason why I want that is our farmers in New York State are struggling desperately. Yeah. So why don't I allow them if they want to to grow hemp, to grow marijuana, if they want to enjoy, go ahead, do what they want. But not just that. People talk about marijuana and cannabis products as being expensive and taxed. If it's regularly like onions, grow it in your backyard. I don't care. Grow it in your backyard. Well, Larry, how do we sell it? We gotta tax the hell out of it. No, then we create a black market, which is what we have now. Right. Officially, you can get medical marijuana in New York. Officially, you can. Mm-hmm. One place in New York City and a massive black market. Right? So instead, like a health food store. Sell it like you do in a health food store. But Larry, there's no regulation. There's no relation to health food stores either. Where are all the deaths from all the health food stores? Or GNC deaths or whatever. <laughs> Where are all the deaths? None. I think I once OD'd, uh, OD'd on creatine. Maybe once. My, there we go. I yes. heard hitting the gym exactly. a long time ago. So uh, the FDA has killed far more people yeah. than every health food store ever created. So really like that. So it's fine. Put a thing. Not regulated by FDA. Good luck. Whatever. I don't care. Do what yeah. you want. Uh, let's just do a couple other hot button ones. So uh, guns. Mm-hmm. Where are you at? What does that mean? Well, where are you at? I know, you know if people in, in New York City itself want far more regulation. Ah, thank you, it's true, man. That's, yeah. it's fine. Then, in New, then in people New York in rural State, New we York, have the SAFE Act. And it's a big deal in New York State. You may or may not know it. The SAFE Act came out after Sandy Hook, and it basically made a bunch of equipment illegal. So it made a bunch of people who owned firearms legally criminals overnight. And now they put you in jail. And not just that, if you have a magazine, if I remember the rule right, if your magazine can fit 11 rounds in it, you, you are now a violent felon, according to New York State law. That's it, violent felon. That's how bad it is. The SAFE Act is terrible. And now we're talking about the idea of taking guns for people. As I told you, if the yeah, ch- children one. in school, he, he just says that the, the child is a, is a problem child, they can go take your guns. If you're uh, mentally ill, take your guns. And, they, and New York State I- includes if you're transgendered. So you don't get to have guns if you're transgendered in New York mm. State. I mean, it's embarrassing how bad this thing is. It's terrible. That has to be repealed. I can't repeal the law, I'm only the governor. So what I can do is I can begin to pardon people who were convicted of it. About a thousand people in New York State have been convicted of safe act um, uh, infringements. About about a thousand. I'll begin pardoning them within the first nine days. So we have people in jail in New York right now who were doing something completely legally. The law changed, and then they were put in jail. That is correct. That that is incredible. Yes, that's correct. And it's guns, therefore it's evil. Yeah. Remember how New York State works. New York State works. It's evil. Hit it with a stick. That's our first. Always first reaction. <gasps> what is that? Hit it with a stick. That's what we do. So yes, that's true. I actually met in Jamestown, I met the first guy who got a first conviction. He's a now three-time um, convicted felon, I think, if I'm not mistaken. So I'll begin pardoning. When I start to pardon, that will let people know, I'm serious, stop. 
Now, what's going to happen when I pardon? The reason why people don't pardon early is because of what's going to happen. When I pardon 100 people, one of them is going to do something stupid. Yeah. They're going to go rob a liquor store or steal a car or whatever, do something bad. Beat their spouse, insert thing here. What are they going to do? I get it. It's going to happen. And when it happens, they're going to blame me. They're going to say, Governor Sharp, you're an evil guy. This liquor store got robbed because you let a guy out because he, he was a violent felon. And I'm going to say several things. Number one, I don't care. When I win, everyone's going to hate me. I'm going to be attacked every day by the Assembly, every day by the Senate, every day by the press. I'm going to have an Assembly in the Senate that's completely against me. That's one of a bazillion things. I won't care. But not just that. Yes, one guy did something wrong. Put that guy in jail for that. 99 people didn't. <laughs> right, that's and the, they got off. And yeah. our nation was built on the idea that it would be better for a guilty person to go free than an innocent person to be imprisoned. Well, I got 99 out. I'm okay with that. And when I do that, the assembly will see that I will take the heat for them. And when they see that in 2019, they'll repeal in 2020 because I've given them the air cover. And on top of that, I'm going to veto any <clears> bill <throat> that has any safe act enforcement funding. Gone. They won't bother putting it in because I'll veto it and they will now have to double down on it as a separate piece that will crush them on the right. They won't do it. Mm-hmm. So that means it will not be enforced. And I'll begin in, I will actually begin pardoning people as they get arrested. Prosecutors love it, easy, easy conviction. Cops hate it. Mm-hmm. The cops will love that I'm not enforcing it anymore and they will happily not enforce it. It becomes useless in 2019, gets repealed in 2020. By the way, I copy the same model for marijuana laws. Same model, same thing. Begin, begin to uh, pardon people who are convicted of nonviolent marijuana possessions. Stop enforcing it. Same idea, same concept. They see how it works. Twenty twenty repealed. Yeah, it's just incredible. You follow, yeah. and I follow. That's by the way, the 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 veto and that model is the Gary Johnson model. All right, give me give me one more thing that's an important issue to you before we wrap. There's tons of them, right. but those are good. I, t- I mentioned the other one, the vaping, the DUIs. I mentioned that also. Um, also, the, the biggest idea, though, of all of them is the unfunded mandates. We have to localize government. Mm-hmm. If, we take away, if we take away the unfunded mandates, now individual counties can decide and vote on what they want. People will say the same thing. But Larry, if <laughs> that happens, then I won't get what I want. No, you can. Just show them both it. Yeah. If you like what your county's doing, don't change a thing. Show up, vote yes on everything, and you're good. But if you don't, you can change it. That's really the key to libertarianism. Yes. You might have to be involved. You might have in your to own show life. up yeah. and talk to your neighbor and tell them why you care about a certain policy or issue. You might have to care about stuff. Yes. But Larry, can't someone else do it? They couldn't do it now, and it's failing. <laughs> but the other thing is, they say all the time. But Larry, then counties will make errors. They'll make mistakes and fail. Yes. But we're all failing now. The state's bleeding to death. I want to follow the Google model. The Google model says. 20% of your time can be used on whatever you want, as long as you're transparent and tell everybody else what you're doing. Counties, do what you want, vote however you want to vote, but transparency, everyone must see what's happening. We do that, what happens? Some fail, some succeed, but we then learn what works and what doesn't. We shift and adjust. Regions will figure out what works for each region, and we'll actually have improvement. This is this disruption that happens before you have success. This happens in business, this happens in everything, it happens in life, everything. So we do that, we become a sharing state, sharing economy. We change how things work. Be it on top of that, that's, that's one part. The second aspect you do is you add what's called a charitable choice credit for your taxes. What that is is 250 bucks, that would be your tax money going to the tax man anyway. Mm-hmm. You have a choice. You can give it to a nonprofit if you want to. 
if you want to. It's going out of your pocket anyway. Mm-hmm. If you want to go to a nonprofit, you can. Plus another 250 in your own county. So 500 bucks of your own money into your own county. For the sake of argument in this area, there are 40,000 people who pay taxes. That's two million possible dollars. Voluntary. Mm-hmm. If you want to do it, do it. Again, if you like your government, don't change it. Yeah. Don't do it. Got it. You're good, you like it. But say you think there's a better way for childcare besides the only government monopoly, which is a disaster. Maybe there's a better way for uh, cleaning the roads, which government is a disaster. Maybe there's a better way. A private company now can lobby you, not the government, because you give the money. And the more money you give, the less corruption there is. Yeah, I love that. The more transparency there is, the less corruption there is. It allows the actual counties to begin to privatize as they want. As they see it work, they can make that more or less or shift. This is the beginning part I'm talking about. Showing them that there's other ways of getting things done besides government. And it's not a zombie apocalypse. On top of that, how do I also raise money? But what is the libertarian response to the zombie apocalypse? Uh, I don't know, I guess guns. <laughs> I assume guns, Second Amendment rights, I guess, yeah. So there's another way of raising money also, which I've been yeah. bringing up also, and that is naming rights on infrastructure, right? The MTA just in New York City has over 12 bridges and tunnels. And right now what we've done in New York City is we've named one of our bridges after the Cuomo family. It's called the Marrow Cuomo Bridge. So now we have which an, bridge is that? It's what's the Tappan Zee Bridge. It was okay. Now it is now it's the Imperial Bridge of the Imperial family. Uh-huh. So <laughs> and now that has to go. Instead, let's let's lease out naming rights. Could be the Verizon Bridge, the Sprint Bridge, the Staples Bridge, the Home Depot Bridge. I don't care. You pick the the, the person who wants it, right? The company who wants it. Yeah. Now they do this for already for stadiums. Mm-hmm. They pay ten, twenty, thirty million dollars a year for something used half a year. This is a bridge they could choose every day. Your name gets mentioned a hundred times at least every morning and afternoon during rush hour on every radio station in a 16 million person metro area. You're telling me companies that pay literally billions of dollars in marketing every year won't drop a hundred million dollars on a bridge. But here's the rule. No tolls, actual break for people, and they control maintenance. (laughs) If they control maintenance, guess what? No more corruption in, in the maintenance industry anymore because now Sprint's paying for it, not the government. No more closing lanes at the GW? No more closing lanes at the BW Bridge. Goes away. Sprint's not going to put up with it. There's potholes. Sprint's not going to put up with it. They'll fire you or sue you. Yeah. These are different ideas that people do. We have an Erie Canal in New York State. It's about 500 and some odd miles of Erie Canal. We can name the locks. It's about three dozen locks. Name the locks. All different ideas. There's so many ways of raising money and changing how we look at this. And they're not perfect by any means. But there are conversations we need to be having to shift this idea that the only way to civilization is taxation. It isn't the only way. It's a way. It's not the only way. There are other options available, and people just don't get it. You open this up. I bring these ideas up all the time. They love it. They eat it up. People go, oh, that's a good idea. I like that idea. Why don't we try that? Some of it's going to be tried. This is what we want to do. We, we shift the way New York State r- runs and the rest of the nation will follow. If I just beat the Republican, everyone will hear what I have to say. I'll be in every TV show in the country. They will hear what I have to say. They'll hear this. They'll start telling their people. They'll start copying. This campaign has the most possibility for impact than any other campaign in 2018. And here's what I promise you. If I raise $2 million, I'm the governor. It's that simple. Two million bucks, I'm the governor. Done. Well, I've enjoyed this conversation. I think you got the right set of ideas and I look forward to seeing what happens. Good. And now I'm gonna send people to your website because I assume you got a donate I button. I do, of there. course, LarrySharp.com. Larry Sharp with an E, the E stands for electable. <laughs> 
now I know you're really running because you even pimped out the website Absolutely. for yourself. LarrySharp.com.